Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. We said it last week, the Lord is actually serious about joy. <laughs> uh, it's one of our duties to delight in Him, if we could almost put it that way. Uh, it's, it's, um, it's serious business to God, because when we're fascinated with God, we're stronger in the Lord. So, Father, I, I just pray... Holy Spirit, I thank you for revealing Jesus who is pleasures forevermore. He is the one seated at the right hand. And I just pray for every individual here that has never encountered the fullness of joy that is found in your presence and therefore has been seeking and searching in other places, but only to be found further disconnected, further disappointed, further discouraged because it could not fulfill what they were longing for. And I pray this morning as we open your word that our hearts would be consumed with Jesus, true joy, everlasting joy, a joy that is not, it's unshakable in every season. And I pray you'd release that this morning, especially in a time where it feels like there's so much shaking. We need the joy of the Lord to be our rock. And I pray, again, as we just open the word, Lord, that you would open hearts by your spirit, that we would connect with you. I thank you for the people that are going to walk by, even right now, that hearts will be stirred to hear the voice of their creator. We ask right now that you'd bless everything that happens in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's thank our amazing worship team. So uh, we said we were working on getting a nice tarp. Uh, had a few issues, but we'll, uh, we'll get back to that for next week. It's going to be a little bit smaller, but it'll work out well. So we'll have a little bit more covering, more shade. Um, also, we didn't announce it, but I just want to put it out there. I'm going to explain it in greater detail next Sunday. Um, we're going to be starting something. Uh, I don't know how many of you remember. We used to do something called Beholding Nights. I was once a month. Well, not only we want to do it once a month, we're going to start it weekly with a vision of really doing multiple sets, multiple days. I really feel the Lord is putting on my heart that we need to be a house of prayer, which is a David's tabernacle. It's a David's tent. I feel that the prayer movement, the worship movement is actually going to be so important with seeing the Lord's return and seeing the fullness of his kingdom. So next week, we're going to start something new, talking about what it means to be a house of prayer, uh, what, what David's tabernacle is. It's going to be beautiful. So we're going to spend a few weeks because I really think it's going to shape our vision. So make sure you're connecting with us some way, whether or not in person or online. But, uh, but today, what we're going to do is we're actually going to finish out our, our Bridal Generation series. Uh, it's been a number of weeks. It's actually been um, almost two and a half months. We've been just paused and marinating on this truth of what it means to be the Bride of Christ. And I feel uh, it's something that is so crucial when it comes to the return of the Lord. And that's kind of how this was all stirred with all that's happening uh, it's, it's not just important in general, it is, it's an imagery that God gives us to understand how he wants to relate to us, but we see an intensification of the bride, bridegroom imagery as we are approaching the return of the Lord. Revelation speaks about it, the Old Testament prophets often prophesy that in the day of the Lord's return, God would come as a husband and his people would be a wife. And so we've just been really, like I said, just stewing on that and understanding what it means to be the bride of Christ, and I want to encourage you that Uh, If you've been engaging in any way, maybe this has been foreign to you, new, but I tell you this, the truth of God is powerful. The word of God is powerful. And even if you've been listening and saying, man, I feel kind of foreign from some of these truths. I've never engaged with God like this. I've never delighted in the Lord like this. 
I've never understood his beauty this way. I want you to know that his word is powerful. So you just sitting week in and week out and hearing the truth of God, it's changing your relationship with the Lord, right? So, to, so today we're going to finish this out. I'm going to speak um, on what's entitled a leaning heart. It's actually language used in the Song of Solomon. Now before we go there, I want you to real quick turn with me to 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. First John chapter 2, verse 28. Before we jump into Song of Solomon chapter 8, that's where we're going to go. I want to just, I want to speak into this. It's a, I think it's a great summary statement for what we've been after this, this study, but it's also uh, super important for, for today as well. Uh, one of the things that we have highlighted week in and week out is the scriptures say that Jesus is not just coming back for any bride. He's coming back for a, a ready bride which means he's not just coming back for people who are waiting for their ticket to be punched to go to heaven. This is a bride that is alive, that is awake. It's a bride that's been cultivating oil. It's, it's been engaging in intimacy with Jesus. And I mean, there's passion, there's zeal, there's purity. They are ready for the Lord. Ephesians 5.27, this is what gives me great hope. I understand the scriptures speak of tribulation and a lot that comes with the idea of the Lord returning. But I tell you what, I have great hope because the church is going to be a ready bride. And so we've just been engaging on what does that look like to be ready. And I want myself and those a part of this body to be known as a ready bride. In Ephesians 5.27, Jesus says that he's going to present to himself a bride that is, is a radiant church. He says it's going to be spotless, without blemish, without wrinkle. It's going to be holy, set apart. I mean, this is Jesus' word. So if we're not seeing this, then I have great hope that it's coming. It's coming. This is the type of church that is going to be emerging, this beautiful, radiant bride. And 1 John 2.28, John says something so beautiful about the Lord's return. I want you to hear this. He says this. He says, and now, little children. So he's speaking to the church. He says, dear children, children of God, sons and daughters. He says, abide in him, meaning abide in Christ, remain in Christ, continue in Christ. Why? So that, so he's giving a reason. You need to stay connected with the Lord for what purpose? So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Now he's speaking to the church and John says this, says guys, there's basically two camps the church is gonna be split into. Those that are gonna be confident at his return, those that are gonna actually be shrinking back in shame, meaning they're almost gonna be reluctant at the idea that the Jesus is coming back. And I believe the picture is actually the parable of the ten virgins. It's all of the church, but there's going to be two groups, those that cultivate oil and those that do not. And so what I hear from this scripture is that Jesus is, he's determined, he's committed to having a church confident at his return. But what is the key to confidence? Abiding in him. The, the abiding, the staying connected is what produces a confident heart. That is why I believe this series has been so important because the bridal message, delighting in God, the beauty of the Lord. We talked about how we ravish his heart, we minister to his heart. It is unto something. It's not just to tickle our ears. It's unto the, the reality of destroying shame so that you would give your wholehearted uh, a response to the Lord. It's so that fear would be crushed by his perfect love for the sake that you would draw near, abide in every season. And that's how you stay confident. 
I, I want us to, because we got to be careful of this. The major mark of the church, it says the major issue that the church is going to face when the Lord returns, church of Laodicea. That's a, that's a picture of, of the last church age. The parable of the ten virgins. The primary issue is apathy, indifference. They lost passion. There's no longer fire in their heart for the Lord. And it's interesting because Jesus says, I'm coming back for a ready bride. And so it's almost as if there's these two opposite ends of the spectrum. And the key is simple. It's like, well, what do I do? Abide. Stay connected with the Lord. That's, it's that simple. And the more we understand who he is, we've just been destroying misconceptions of God over the last two and a half months, that he's always angry or sad when he looks at you, that he's always just disappointed, that he's boring and Satan's really exciting. These are all lies. And the reason why I've shared these things is not just to say that's a really neat idea. It's so that you would draw near to him. So let's turn into Song of Solomon chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, I really want you to follow this and stay along. So come over into Song of Solomon Chapter 8, verses 5 through 7 is going to be our primary text. Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verses 5 through 7. I'm going to give you a second to get there. I really want you to follow along with what we're speaking into. Speaking about a leaning heart. The primary place that we have been teaching over these last two and a half months has been the Song of Solomon. Now, Song of Solomon, as I've shared each week, but I realize there's always new faces here and both online, so I just want you to grasp this. It is a love song between an actual husband, Solomon, and a bride, the Shulamite bride. So one of the ways you can approach this book is, is in the context of natural marriage. But the way that we've been approaching this is to see that all Scripture testifies to Jesus. Do we know that? <laughs> right? It's unfortunate that some, some find it offensive to see Christ in this, but listen, listen to this. Is every book inspired by the Holy Spirit? Every book. And what's the Holy Spirit's primary job? To glorify Christ. Which means every book is unto the glorification of Jesus Christ. So when we read this book, we know that yes, there's natural application, but the primary thing we've been studying is seeing how the, the bridegroom represents Jesus and the bride represents the church. And we're really understanding God's bridegroom passionate heart for his people. And so this eight chapter love song, it began as we started a few months ago. It started with the bride saying, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, which is actually an expression of intimacy. And now it's going to culminate and end. The last picture is a bride leaning on her beloved coming up out of the wilderness. The last picture is this bride being sealed with the fiery love of Jesus and the story ends. And I think this is going to teach us so much about what God's after, what success looks like, what greatness looks like in the eyes of God. Because there's a lot of ways this book could have ended, but it ends with the simple picture of a, of a bride just leaning wholeheartedly on her husband. So let's, let's read this together. This is the pinnacle of how it ends. I'm going to read verse 5, teach for a little bit, and then we'll... Um, We'll jump into the last two verses, six and seven. So verse five says this. Who is that coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? This is the words of the bridegroom, Jesus. Who is that coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? Under the apple tree I awakened you. There your mother was in labor with you. There she who bore you was in labor. All right, let's just stop there. The first part of that is the key to setting the stage for us, but I want you to just, there's something else beautiful in this. Jesus says, under the apple tree, I awakened you. Now, hopefully a number of you were here last week. Do you remember one of the things that we shared? 
the bride in chapter two, do you remember what she says? She says, like an apple tree among the trees of the woods, so is my beloved among the sons of men. And what she's really saying is the bride has a revelation that there are many trees in the woods, but there's only one apple tree. What she says is there's many things that you could set your heart on. There's many things that could capture your heart. There's many things that you can allow to master your heart. But only one thing satisfies, only one thing uh, refreshes, only one thing restores. That is the person of Jesus. And I think this is so fascinating because Jesus says this. He says, under the apple tree, I awakened you. In other words, he says, this is Ephesians 2 language. Outside of Christ, we are all dead and sleeping in sin. But it was the satisfying, reviving, refreshing touch of Christ that awakened us to new life. He's reminding her of where it all started. It's beautiful because we're about to see how it all ends. But he first, he first says, do you remember, under the apple tree is where I awakened you. Like, do we, do we remember how our life was just chasing after things? And the first thing we saw when we came to new life was the face of Jesus. Because Adam ate the wrong thing and died, right? We eat the right thing and live. It's by consuming Christ that we find life. And so the picture is, under the apple tree is where I spoke into your life, where you touched me, you encountered me, and you begin to see for the first time. Do you remember that? It's like, oh my goodness, I see the sunrise and sunset. Everything is different now. I know him. But here's, here's where I think it gets just, this is just so beautiful. The leaning, a leaning bride or a leaning heart, that opening part says, who is that coming up from the wilderness leaning on her beloved? So this is the culminating picture, right? This is how this whole journey ends. I mean, this is like the capstone defining mark of the bride. I think this is fascinating because I'd be saying, you're going to think the bride's going to come out with like this successful career is what he's, he's going to highlight and all these accomplishments. And it's not that there's anything inherently wrong with that. Let me be clear. God loves to put people in places of influence and that's beautiful. But here, the only thing that, it, that, that we see, the way it ends, is just this bride coming up out of the wilderness leaning on her husband. What's the wilderness? The wilderness is often a place of temptation, trial, right? Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, I think it categorizes just the reality of living in a fallen and broken world, right? And here, she's not just being dragged through the wilderness. She's not just barely getting by. It's saying she's coming up out of the wilderness. It's an expression of victory. See, this is why I'm hopeful. God is trying to reveal some. There's going to be a bride that arises in victory from the pull of this world. And you know what the secret was to her victory? Love. Intimacy. See... Even, even, we got to be careful. Adam was told to extend the garden, God's kingdom, by just walking with God in the cool of the day. That's the way he extends it. What you got to be careful of is we can get so focused on all the other things, even the strategies of the enemy. That becomes deception in itself because authority is found in knowing him. Paul told the church at Corinth, he says, I I'm fearful that someone has snuck in like Eve like uh, the serpent snuck in on Eve and took her away from simple devotion to Christ. Like this is how the bride remains victorious. Listen, you don't need to know every strategy of the enemy because he's able to keep you. Stay connected to him through every season and you will be a victorious bride. And so there's this picture coming out, but this, uh, this just, it's just so amazing. The picture is a leaning bride. I, I, this, is God's, this is God's wisdom. He's revealing what, what, it's at, what he's after, right? 
And just stay with me because the application, I think, can really set us free from the pull of what the world says is success and greatness. And here's the story, and the whole story is about God cultivating a leaning bride. The whole story was actually about God cultivating a bride that had a leaning heart. What does that mean? It means the whole thing is he wanted a bride that was near to him and dependent on him. I mean, really, this whole story ends. You say, well, how is it all going to end, all the ups and downs she's been through? And it's just this bride leaning on Jesus. It's dependency and nearness. It's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Do not trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. This is what he's been, this is a revelation of the gospel. What she's saying is she, rel, she is relinquishing self-reliance and thrusting herself on the person of Jesus, saying, without you, I have no life. That's the gospel message. It's Psalm 16, where David says, sustain me, Lord, not just save me, but every day I need you, keep me. This is what God is after to teach and lead a bride to come to a place where they say, Lord, every day you've got to sustain me. I'm a leaning bride. And so he's been destroying shame in her life, all different things that she had in her mind so that she would draw near to him. He says, this is what I want first and foremost, more than anything else. The Lord's strategy is to cause his bride to become completely dependent on him. The Lord will remove the props, the false props that we set up to rely on for comfort and success because he is a jealous God. Oh, we're going to look at that in a moment. His love is jealous. That is a glorious thing. He is up in our business because he wants all of us. And so he says, I will come and I will remove things. I will touch on things because at the end of the day, here's what I want. I want you leaning wholly on me. I mean, the picture is really she's unable to walk without him. And that's what he wants, us to have this revelation of it. To be living with Jesus is to be in a living union with him or leaning on Jesus is to be in a living union where he is our primary source and goal. It's the two becoming one. Paul said this is the great mystery unveiled, that marriage is actually a picture of Christ in the church. And what is it unto? That the two would cleave, they'd cling to one another and become one. He says, this is what I want more than anything. I want you to become one with me. Man, imagine, imagine you get married, okay? Let me speak from the husband's standpoint because it helps us understand I think Jesus in this. But imagine, imagine you get married and you love your wife, but very quickly you find out that she's, she's not the best when it comes to house skills, right? <laughs> you find out she cannot cook. Now listen, this is not my wife. She's amazing, okay? But you find out, <laughs> really, she is. You find out um, can't cook. She hates, she hates anything to do with the house stuff, right? So you just say, don't worry about it, honey. This is what we're gonna do. We're gonna hire a servant, a maid, and she'll do all that stuff for us. And you find out this maid, she can cook, she can clean, she can do all of these things. But let me ask you, who has the husband's heart? Is it the one that can cook a great meal or the one that loves him? That's who has his heart. Our service is not winning his love. It's what inspires. His love inspires our service. He's not looking for a maid servant. He wants a partner. And what he wants first and foremost is your love. It's the same way we do the natural. It's say, I'm, I'm thankful you can cook, you do all these things, but my wife, she has my heart. This, this, is, this is what he's after. Guys, this is so important because the way that the world defines success is very different than the way God defines success. Success to God is growing in union with him. 
So critical because we often define success, especially in our culture, by our output, our performance, um, our impact that we make or do not make. Whatever it may be, we're always measuring it on the externals. Do you know Jesus already showed us that, he already addressed that issue in Revelation 2 to the church of Ephesus. It was a church that was exceeding in the outward. He honored them for it. He said, that's important. But he said, you've forsaken your first love. He said, here's the real definition of success. Growing in love with me. And you're doing all the outside things, but you've lost me in the process. And so we've got to have a, a, a redefining of success because if we do not, if you're like me, I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I wish someone had shared this with me when I was first in the Lord because I didn't really grasp this. And the problem is, is I started setting a benchmark in my life for success like the world does. It's got to be bigger, better, more, and more. Now listen, God can do that. And if he does, I mean, that's amazing. And he's going to bless you so that you can advance his kingdom. But I thought that was the primary mark of where my identity and value comes from. And the problem with this is most of the time you walk around feeling like a failure. Most of the time you walk around walking aimlessly like you just, you can't measure up. You're not good enough. It's not big enough. You're not moving fast enough. And the way that you overcome this is to understand his definition of success is to actually be a leaning bride. Like this will change your life when you realize this is what he's after first and foremost. The seasons where I battled my greatest depression, greatest discouragement, greatest anxiety, I mean, you go through the list. I have found, you know what the common theme is? I set something in my heart as the marker for success, and it was crushing me if I couldn't get it. Or I had anxiety in the process of trying to get it. And the Lord has had to take me on a journey to show me, Andrew, if those things come, that's great. But if you want to know how to free yourself from that, find, your, find success in loving me, receiving my love, growing in obedience. That's first and foremost. I really felt the Lord for this. If you do not understand his definition of success, right here, I'm like so guilty, you will get offended by his leadership. You will be like Romans 9, the clay, who says to the potter, what in the world are you doing? See, God, God, when you realize what he's after, you start seeing your journey a little bit different. Because if we define success by bigger, better, faster, more, when he takes us through wilderness seasons where he shuts things down, you'll say, what in the world are you doing, God? I, like, I'm failing. Like, why, why does it, all of my outward progress is being put on the shelf? But what you find out is that it's for the sake of inward renovation. It's for the sake of developing Christ in you. And when you realize this is most important to his heart, you can actually rejoice in the wilderness seasons. You can actually rejoice when it feels like you're not moving in the way that the world is moving because you know he's actually revealing his jealous love for you. Do you know that in Hosea? It says God prophesied through Hosea. He said, I'm gonna, he said, I'm gonna woo you back to the wilderness. There I'll speak tenderly to you again as I did when I, when, I, when I first saved you. Now, how many of us be honest? When we hear going into a place where the, the normal markers of success are put on hold, we get frustrated. How is this not moving? How am I not being promoted faster? And then you find out that actually God, could I, could I challenge you to say this? If you're in a season like that, God's actually revealing his jealous love for you. He's actually saying, you know what I want more than all of that? I just want you. And I'll shut everything down just to grow closer to you. Man, when we start seeing this, it changes what we're pursuing, what we're going after. And so I believe cultivating a leaning heart, right? This is what the bride is. She's a leaning bride. Cultivating a leaning heart where we're giving everything to him. A practical way to express it is cultivating a first commandment lifestyle. Like this, this is what the Lord's after. 
The first commandment, Jesus says in Matthew 22, 37, 38, he says nothing about this. This is God speaking. They ask, what's most important? God in the flesh responds. <laughs> he says, you want to know what's most important? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He says, this is most important. He sets the stage. And I believe the, I'm not going to get into what all those mean, but the all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that's a leaning heart. That's a leaning bride. It's, it's thrusting all of yourself unto him. The first commandment is God's mission statement for mankind. And we've got to make it our own. It's what he's after. But when I hear first, first commandment, you know what my first thoughts are? Boring. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> we get so familiar with it that we don't allow it to penetrate our heart anymore. This is really, listen, I could go on and on about this. Just, just listen to this. If I was marinating on first commandment this week. So much it teaches us. First of all, what does it teach us about our God? Our God, what does he want more than anything? Our love. Think about how many kings have existed with their empires. What is the thing they want? Servitude? They want your labor. Now, God wants us to be his servants, but it's, it's first rooted in his love. Man, there's so much to teach us. You know what it teaches about you? What value do you possess to know that God, who has all authority and power, says, you know what I want more than anything? I want your love. You move his heart. You minister to his heart. Every step of obedience, every act of faith, no matter how small he notices, he says, even a small, cold drink, he says, is unto me. He says, even when you're the smallest of act, I want you to know, you got to know what it does to my heart. Like, it, this deeply moves him. When, when Jesus healed the ten lepers, he was aware of the nine that didn't come back. His heart broke over that. He says, where's the other nine? Now, he rejoiced in the one, but he says, where are the other nine? Like, we have an ability. It's amazing. God is, he's self-sufficient. He has no needs, but he does have desires. That's part of the bridal revelation. As a husband would desire the love of his wife, so does Jesus, our bridegroom, desire our love. And that's why he says, first and foremost, he says, I want, I want you to give me your affection. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5 is actually where the, the first commandment was really first given. God exhorted Israel through the prophet Moses same thing, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength, right? Here's what's amazing is that when Jesus steps on the scene uh, hundreds of years later and he's standing before the religious leaders, Jesus adds something that is really profound. And I think we can miss it, but the original hearers would have been shocked. After he says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, he then says this is the great and first commandment. The great and first commandment. What does that mean? First means priority. He's, he's saying, you know what the number one priority of the Holy Spirit is? To lead the church to cultivate a first commandment lifestyle. Come on, let's be honest. What, what, is, what is our priorities a lot of time? Like we are chasing after a lot of things that honestly weigh on our hearts because either we can get them or we can't. But the Holy Spirit's number one priority is for us to grow in this. He says it's the great and first. What's great? Great speaks to impact. Nothing will impact your life greater than growing in the first commandment lifestyle. Nothing will help you overcome bitterness. Nothing will help you to over, overcome offense. Nothing will help you overcome um, I, uh, 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 burnout if you are rooted in the love of God. So he says this is great because nothing will impact your life greater than if you start growing in this. Nothing impacts the God's heart greater than this. And ultimately what he's really saying once again is you want to know the definition of greatness? 
This is it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's incredible. This is his measuring stick for our lives. It's not about the amount of money we get. It's not about uh, the educational level that we attain. It's not about how many followers we have. Again, nothing inherently wrong when God uses to bless us. But ultimately, he says, you want to know the measuring stick for your life? You want to know what, what I look at when I see someone who's great? Do they love me with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength? And here, here's the remarkable thing. Anybody can walk in this. Anyone in the eyes of God can be declared great. He says, this is greatness right here. So no matter what, right? Because I think we lay, our, we lay our head on our pillow at the end of the night, and there's a desire in every heart to have a life that's impactful, a life that's great in the eyes of God especially. And so we try to do all these things, and God says, no, no, let me make it simpler. If you grow in loving me like this, I promise you the way I see you is great. You will be great in the kingdom of God. That encourages my heart. So listen, if you, if you want to cultivate a leaning heart, right? If we say, Lord, I want to come in alignment with your definition of success, what you say is greatness, then we've got to cultivate that leaning heart. We've got to cultivate a first commandment lifestyle. But if I were to just close right now and say, now go for it, man, I would lead you to just trying in your own strength. Do you know how you grow in first commandment? It's to receive his love first. See, the rest of the, chap the, rest of the verses I'm about to read is actually going to just be a beautiful description of his love for us. Before I do that, I want you to just hear this. You don't need to turn there. John 15, 9. It's a verse that I've read many times. But again, we've got to let these truths really sink deep. We've got to marinate on it. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Now just stop there. Three sections. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Abide in my love. As the Father has loved me, he's saying this is your starting point. Now think about what this means. This, this means before the first commandment ever hits your ears or you ever read in the Bible, he says that love has existed for all of eternity between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This perfect, intense, unconditional love has been flowing within the triune God. Just open up the scriptures and see the Father's love for the Son. Is it not amazing? Over and over the way he speaks about him. And Jesus says, you know what? That's how I love you. Like crazy. He says with that same intense, unconditional, like relentless love, that's the same love that I have towards you. And then he says this, abide in that love. He says get locked into this truth. Do not grow past this. Do not graduate past this. Most of the time my conversation with God is about my activity. Uh, doors of opportunity or, or, or doors of disappointment. And I'm always laying this out. It's always about my doing. I believe God would say, Andrew, you're already moving on to another truth. Come back to abiding in my love. Stay right in this place. There, there's a place for the opportunities and to come before me with your disappointments. But don't allow yourself to stop abiding in this. Because like, if you do, you know what happens? This is where when we get offended and all these things, this is where we get into isolation. Like this is where we get, we get hurt, we get wounded. And all of a sudden we allow ourselves to be cut off. This is the way that you come above that. All right, so let's go to verse 6. Hopefully you're following with me. He starts off with, who is that coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? And now a Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 6. Just letting the muffler pass by. God is, uh, Jesus is about to lay out this beautiful way of abiding in his love. 
And he says this, I want you to catch this. He says, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. Now I'm gonna read this through in its entirety first, but I just want you to know, he starts with a command. And what's gonna flow after this is all rooted in this command. Jesus saying, you've gotta set me as a seal upon your heart and your arm. We'll come back to that. He says, for love is strong as death, jealousy is fierce as the grave. He describes what this seal is. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Then he gives a promise that if you set the Lord and this fiery seal upon your heart and arm, this is what he says. He says, many waters cannot quench love. Neither can floods drown it. And then he gives a great reward or encouragement. He says, if a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. And I'll come into what that means. But here's what it says, and I want you to just catch this, to just grow and abiding in his love. Jesus begins by giving a command in verse six. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. So Jesus actually commands us to set a fiery seal of love upon our heart, which is our person, and our arm, which is our works. So he's saying, let your entire being be rooted in my fiery, passionate love for you. Let me explain this seal the way I see it a little bit better. This seal is another name for the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1.13 says that we were sealed by the Holy Spirit on the day that we believed. So you, when you confess Christ, are sealed by the Spirit. Now one of the roles of the Holy Spirit that has sealed you is Romans 5.5 says that he pours out the love of God into your heart, which means he takes the historical event of Jesus dying on a cross, and he takes it so it's not just something you've heard or memorized, but he begins to materialize it and pour it out on your heart so that that love becomes palpable, it becomes real, it begins to touch you and change you. It's not something you just speak with your lips, but man, you are convinced that you have a God who left everything and died for you. This is the seal that he's saying. And so the seal is this fellowship with the Holy Spirit where progressively the Holy Spirit is pouring out the love of Christ upon our hearts. And Jesus says, set me as a seal upon your heart and your arm, meaning let your whole being be rooted in this love. But set me means it's a choice. It's something intentional that we have to do. Love by nature doesn't force. So he waits to be invited into the matters of our heart. He won't force that in, so he says, you've got to do it. It's, it's like what Paul would always say, put on Christ, put on the new clothes, put off the old clothes. It's this partnership with God's grace where we are responding and, and engaging with him. How do you do this? It's simple. It's, activity. it's just spiritual disciplines with the Lord. It's fasting. It's praying. It's reading. It's worshiping. But let me be so clear. It is those things in themselves is not what changes you. Those activities don't earn favor with God. When you engage with God in prayer and the word and worship and you begin to cultivate a lifestyle of this, what happens is that you position your cold heart before the bonfire of his presence. And through that, he begins to change your heart. So when Jesus says, set me as a fiery seal upon your heart and arm, he's saying, stay connected, worship, pray, fast, stay engaged. And when you do, the Holy Spirit is going to progressively pour out my love, and this is going to change you. This is, you're going to start abiding in this. He begins to describe this seal in a little bit deeper ways in the next verse. He says, for love is strong as death. I love this. It's so good. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. He's explaining and describing this fiery seal of love that he wants to just stain you with. 
And he first says that it's as strong as death. And you say, wow, that's, that's kind of odd. His love is as strong as death. What he's saying is death claims everything. Death is comprehensive, right? In the natural, when someone dies, it, death doesn't leave a piece of them left. His love is consuming. He wants all of you. Death is strong. He's saying it's as strong as death, meaning when someone dies, no matter how many people come along the grave and weep and sigh and sing song, whatever they do, it cannot pull them back. Once death has a hold on them, it holds them captive. It's unshakable. And this is saying God's love is like that strength of death. It is firm. It is unshakable. Even when you walk through seasons of shaking, you will be able to transcend and rise above it. Come on, that is good news. That's what he's saying. Abide in this. He then says, jealousy as fierce as the grave. He has a jealous love for you. Do you know that God is jealous? Now, I don't know about you, but my understanding of jealousy is not good. It's you have something I want, and I will do whatever I can to get it from you. But that's not the jealousy here. It says in Exodus 34, 14 that God's name is actually jealous. It's Elkanah in the Hebrew. He says, I'm identified as jealousy. Paul says in 2 Corinthians eleven two, he told the church at Corinth, he says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy that you would be betrothed to one husband. You'd be set apart for one. Do you know there's a godly jealousy? It's the jealousy, this is what it is. It's when sin threatens the covenant relationship that he has with you, the jealousy begins to rise. He says, no, 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 that's my bride. When we begin to put anything in front of God, come on, this is good news that, because our hearts wander, right? We serve a jealous God that when stuff starts to come up and we start getting sidetracked, Elkanah rises up and says, no, no, I'm not going to let you, I'm not going to let you move. I'm not going to let you fall back into indifference. I'm not going to let you just get stale. Like, I'm coming after you. You're my bride. I would never, never, you would expect if someone were to come after my wife and try to get in between us, you would expect a jealousy to arise up and say, oh, that's my wife. How much more with God? This is a holy jealousy. This is Revelation 2 and 3. Seven letters to the seven churches. It's not some angry God. It's a jealous love that Jesus comes with to the churches. Saying you've got stuff getting in the way of my relationship with you and I'm going to confront it for the sake of intimacy. Like, God as a judge is a glorious thing. In the Old Testament, what were judges? Judges were deliverers. When it says God is a, is a judge, it means he comes to deliver us from sin. Man, my heart gets excited by going through this. Jealousy is as fierce or cruel like a grave. Again, it demands everything from you. Now you say, wow, his, his love is jealous like as cruel as a grave is. And that doesn't sound too good. But listen to me. When it says that God's love is, is cruel like a grave, it's not saying that he's some cruel taskmaster that demands allegiance. Again, it's expressing that this is what our hope is in, that he won't leave us alone, that he demands everything like a grave demands everything when someone dies. What it actually means is, listen, as the bike goes by, he loves you too much to just let you just wander. He loves you so much, he will, de will demask you. When you put on fronts and say, I'm good on a Sunday, he loves you too much, he will come after you. Thank God he won't let me keep a mask on my face. He loves you too much that he won't let you bypass process. So when you keep trying to skip things like I do and say, I just want to get around this, and then I get frustrated and offended at his leadership and just start to, if I wasn't for a pastor, I would miss many Sundays. 
True story. I'd just be like, man, I don't want to do this. But his love comes for me and says, I can't let you bypass this. I'm not going to let you just sulk in a room and hide. Now, we've got to respond to it, but thank God that he is like this. Like, his, his love is so fierce like a grave that he won't allow any areas of brokenness to remain in your life. He'll keep coming again and again because he's after wholeness in your life. So we celebrate the fierce love. This is why Jesus is saying, set me as a seal upon your heart and arm. Let my fiery love just get a hold of you because you will be changed forever. He says it's flashes or flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Do you know that our God is a consuming fire? He, his love, man, he's up in your business. Really, we get upset in the moment, but thank God he is. He comes, he comes to us. He's not a distant deity. He's not far off. He's not indifferent to your life. Thank God he consumes us and he's passionate for us. And then here's this promise that he gives, verse 7. So you set this fiery seal of love that is just jealous and, man, it's passionate. Here's what it says. Verse 7 is the promise of what will happen. It says, many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. He says, you abide in this love. He says, many waters cannot put it out. In the scriptures, floods and waters are often used with troubles. In fact, interesting, Revelation 12, 15, Isaiah 42, 1 and 2 speaks of floods and waters uh, in connection with end time persecution. So maybe that's even more fitting for us in the hour that we're in. Who knows? But nevertheless, many waters means many troubles. It's saying many sin, persecution, pressures. The enemy tries to send floods of bitterness and offense. And what it says is if you abide in my love, this stuff won't put out that fire. In the natural, in the natural, water puts out fire. So the way I take that is if you're not abiding in his love, the, the, the enemy's tactics of bitterness and offense will get a hold of your heart. Like, you will get offended at how Jesus is leading you if you're not abiding in love. But when you are abiding in love, that fire cannot be put out. Man, it's just so good. And then finally says in verse 7, to close it out here, the second part, he says, if a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. And what he's actually saying, it sounds a little weird, but in the natural, if someone were to offer everything that they have for love, we would despise that. We would say, what a waste. But what it's saying is when you abide in his love and you experience this incredible fiery love of God and you begin to see that, man, nothing can quench it, what happens is that it actually motivates you to give everything to him. And when you give everything to him, you will never regret it. That's what it's saying. You could give all of your riches for his love. And you can give up everything. But if you have him and if you have this love, it says you will never once say down the road, I wish I held back a little bit more. I'm so disappointed that I gave that much to God. This is saying you will never, never be disappointed or let down if you give everything that you have to him. It's a Philippians 3.8 where Paul says, essentially, I count everything rubbish comparing to knowing Christ. He says, comparing, compared to knowing and going deeper with Christ, all of my opportunities for prestige, honor, growth in the world, the way that the world would define it, he says, you know what, it's all rubbish in comparing to knowing Christ and having this relationship. Let me, let me uh, finish it with this. I've, I've heard an illustration like this that was so good. At Christmas time, it's probably more, uh, more relatable. But when it comes to any type of holiday, a lot of times we start to get presents in our mail, right? And as the presents come in, 
you know you're getting some good stuff. Me and my wife usually say, like, don't open the next present that comes in. It's for you. Um, but when you get it, right, there's just this, like, cardboard box. And you hold it pretty carefully. But when you open the cardboard box and you see what's inside, what do you do with the box? Who even knows? You just discard it. <laughs> Why? Because there's something more valuable now that you've seen. The box means nothing anymore. See, when you begin to see the value of Christ, all of the stuff we've held on to, we don't even know where it goes. It's like I could care less about it. I, I count it all a loss. It's rubbish. It's dung. But the only way that you can actually say that with conviction in your heart is for you to see Jesus. And that's what it's saying. The reward of abiding in his love is that you will never be disappointed for giving him everything. Never be disappointed. If you're holding back from the Lord, if you abide in his love, it will teach you to overcome that. I can't force you to do it. You can't force me. Jesus says, set me as a seal upon your heart and your arm. If you're cold and stagnant, if you feel like you're wavering, how do you come out of that? You abide. You just turn your attention to him. I'm actually, I'm going to ask if it's okay, and whoever can, I know there's kids, but if the worship team could come back up. I feel this is really important. This is our last teaching on the bridal revelation. I'm sure we'll come back to it in weeks, months, who knows, we'll come back into it. But I, I really feel like something, especially on closing this out, all that we've shared over these last few weeks of just saying, Lord, you got to seal this in our heart. And so I don't want to just rush this by. All that we've spoken about is unto, intimacy, abiding. And I encourage you, if you haven't been a part of these last few weeks, really to, I feel like it's so important for us. You can go back, everything's on our podcast, but just to really marinate on these truths and break off some chains that we have. But I want to share one last thing, and we're going to pray. Speaking about not being disappointed or regretting when you give something to the Lord. When I read this, I was reminded of a story in Mark 14. And I want you to grasp this. I really felt, I felt the Lord on this. On Mark 14, it's a story about Mary of Bethany anointing Jesus for his burial. You remember this. And in this story, it says that she comes with an expensive jar, an alabaster jar of perfume. Not only was the perfume expensive, worth a year's wage, but the jar itself. And it says she comes and just breaks it on Jesus. And I believe that jar was a revelation of her life. She held nothing back for the Lord. She gave him everything. She spent it all with no possibility of taking it back. And what's amazing is that other people in the room, see, I think Mary is such a revelation of, of the bridal generation and what's about to come in the church and the type of worship that we're going to see in this house, the ways we've never seen it, people laying everything down, not just on a Sunday, but every day of the week. When she breaks that jar, there are others in the room that say, what a waste. It's what we just read. She was despised for her offering, for her sacrifice. And I think this is fascinating because a waste is when you give like a $50 steak to your pet. A waste is when you give pearls to swine. 
A waste is when you give something of great value to something of lesser value. There is nothing wasted when it's poured out on the person of Jesus. Yes. It's incredible. Everyone in that room, including the disciples, what their statement meant is they thought Jesus wasn't even worth a year's wages. What we give to Jesus, we could say all we want, I could say all I want, but what I really give to Jesus is a revelation of his worth to me. What does he really mean to me? She gave everything to him. Jesus actually said her story would be preached everywhere, everywhere the gospel is preached. She didn't have to say anything. Just her life moved the Lord. But the last part of it really, really touched me. For Jesus says, when, they, when she was rebuked, Jesus says, this was for my burial. Now check this out. I want you to imagine something. How many have ever gone into the mall to a place that sells cologne and have ever sprayed on a, one spray of cologne on your arm? Is it not later on in the day still strong on your arm? Now I want you to imagine an, an entire jar of perfume was broken and poured out on Jesus. It's why it says the house was filled with this fragrance. It was all over him. She started on his head. It worked down in his clothes and his body. He must have smelled so strong with this perfume. And then Jesus says, this was for my burial. Now he never received a proper burial. It's just the wind of the Lord. <laughs> he never received the proper burial. And this really hit me. Yes, I believe there's figurative language in it that, that she was anointing him, but I believe literally she was anointing him for his burial because shortly after this, he would be led to the cross, which tells me one thing. I wonder, I wonder when Jesus was led to be flogged, when they took off his clothes on the cross and put nails in his hands and blood dripped from his body, I wonder if the smell was still on his skin. I wonder as he was laying down his life for us and had nothing else to comfort him but the anointing oil of Mary saying there was one, there was one who loved me with all that she had and I will gladly give up my life if it's just for that one. I wonder if he found hope in the fact that many Marys would come after that. Guys, I wanna, I wanna be a bridal picture of Mary. I want Jesus to find comfort in his suffering when he looks at me and says, now, Andrew was worth it. When I was on the cross, I could smell the fragrance of his life. It was a first commandment life. I gladly gave myself up because I knew that's his inheritance. You know you're his inheritance? Let's give him what he bought. Let's give him what he purchased. I believe it in my heart. In the weeks that are about to fall, we talk about the house of prayer. We're going to move into something new. Man, there's something that glorious that's going to come from this body. And I'm gonna, I believe we're going to see just a, an authenticity and intensity for the Lord that we've never seen before. And I just say, Lord, let's just start it right here. So if you're able, if you want, you can stand, respond however you'd like. But I want to worship the Lord. Just, just, just close out here and worship for a moment. And I'm just, I'm just asking you to just commune with the Lord in your own way. Like, don't let this moment pass by. Tell him. Tell him, say, Lord, I want to be a leaning bride. I want to be... Mary-like, I want to set a seal on my heart, a fiery seal on my heart and my arm. Jesus, I want to abide in your perfect love. Lord, we need it.
Come on, it's been nine weeks of pressing into this. And I really felt the Lord say there just be a special grace to close this out. And so wherever you find yourself, man, just, just engage with the Lord. Tell him what's really going on in your life. Thank him that he's a jealous God. Thank him that he doesn't leave you alone. And just tell him, Jesus, as best as I know how, I want to set you as a seal. Teach me how to put you on. Teach me how to put on the old self. Put off the old self. Say it as a prayer to him. Be the 
going to ask you to place your hand on your heart. I just want to speak over you. Jesus, by faith, we, we make a gesture today that I pray would be supported by a lifestyle that follows it. But we say, seal us, seal us with your fiery love, our heart, our careers, our businesses, all that we do, our work, our function, may it all be rooted in your love. I pray, Holy Spirit, that there would be fresh baptisms of fiery love. I pray that you would begin to melt cold hearts, hearts that have been running, hearts that seem stale. I thank you for your jealous, consuming fire. I pray for those that are in a season of being offended at what, how you're leading. And I pray that come into alignment with your true desire that you want dependency on you. And I pray that they would just yield, yield. For your banner over their life is love. You're leading them with your mercy and your kindness, so I pray they would yield. And they'd begin to even celebrate the season that feels like things are being halted. I pray we'd begin to rejoice that you would love us so much that you would call us back into places of wilderness just so you can have our full attention. 
oh Lord, we need, a, we need to capture your character. I just ask for the lies to be broken that always are trying to get us to see you differently than who you are. Like the serpent did to Adam and Eve. God's withholding something from you. That's why he doesn't want you to have this. No, no, no. Lord, you're after our hearts. You see the full picture. You know what's best. We thank you that you lead us, Lord. We thank you that you're a God that reveals that you want our love before even our labor. Who is like you? Oh, I pray we'd grow more and more in this understanding. And I pray, Lord, that everything that we've shared about being your bride, I pray it, it wouldn't just stop here, it'd actually intensify. Speak to us, Lord, in new ways, fresh ways about what it means to be your bride. That we would be, we would be a bridal church. That we would be a house full of Marys. House full of Marys, Lord. No matter what people say, no matter what it upsets, we give everything because that's what you're worthy of. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. If anyone wants prayer, we'll have a few people come up. We'd love to pray with you. But we'll see you, uh, see you next Sunday, Wednesday nights. Don't forget, 7 p.m., we're going through Revelation. Zoom link is all over our page. You can find it there. Have an awesome week. Enjoy the beautiful weather.